John chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The intellectually most honest time of our lives, I believe, is generally when we are small children. Small children simply throw all pretense aside and ask one question after another. They seem not to fear that they reveal their ignorance by asking so many questions. They seem not to care about saving face before the rest of the family by asking some of the questions they do. All they seem to care about is getting answers to their questions. Have you ever had the experience of being hit by your child with a small little question, why? And just about the time you think you have answered that question by imparting such wisdom, you hear this innocent little voice from the the corner over here with this curious expression on his face. And you're humbled and you're shaken from your ivory tower by him asking a further why. And you quickly learn you'd better pay very close attention to those whys because there are always five or six whys behind that initial why and you'd better get to the answer as quickly as you possibly can. Now I know it can be quite taxing at times, to answer one question after another. But before I go on, let me simply encourage you parents, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary of answering those questions from your children. Be patient. Listen to their whys. And give them the godly counsel that comes from God's Word. In fact, I would go as far as to say, we adults need to have more of those qualities of children as we approach the Word of God. We need to be asking one question after another. We need to be hungering and thirsting after the knowledge of God like little children wanting to know why. We need to forsake, dear ones, all vanity all pride and negligence and apathy that keeps us from continually growing in our knowledge of our gracious God and His revealed truth and rather become like little children. Oh, that Christians in general had that kind of eagerness and excitement about their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we always say, oh, to be newly converted? I remember when my faith was so fresh and alive and I was growing and learning. Dear ones, if we have allowed our our faith to grow dull, if we have allowed our faith to grow cold, it is because we have departed from that first faith and first love. God help us through our own love for the, uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ, communion with God and reading His Word, praying and spending time upon our knees to grow again in that childlike faith and understanding. And as we look at our passage this Lord's Day, we come face to face with one of those why questions in 1 John chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 
this question presents itself to us. Why do heresies come within the church? Why do they come? Let us listen, dear ones, and learn from God's Word like little children today. As we have moved through the first three verses of 1 John chapter 4 the past two weeks, we have noted that the Apostle John has given two answers to the ever-important question, how do you know you love the truth? First answer that he has given is, you test the teachers. In chapter 4, verse 1, you test the teachers. You are not blindly to believe with an implicit faith whatever you are taught, whether it be by me, by the Westminster Assembly of Divines, or anyone else. It is significant that one of the sins forbidden in the first commandment, the first commandment being, thou shalt have no other gods before me, one of the sins forbidden in the first commandment is found in the question, question 105 of the larger catechism is a vain credulity. That is a willingness to accept whatever is taught you without judging it according to the word of God, which is simply to practice, dear ones, an implicit faith or a blind obedience that in effect destroys all true liberty of conscience. For then God is no longer the Lord of the conscience. And let me say this, even if what is being believed is agreeable to the Word of God, if you believe it not on the authority of what God says, but on the authority of what a man says, you have at the same time denied your Christian liberty. You have still exalted a man above God in your conscience. You see, dear ones, our standards teach that it is anti-Christian. It is Romish to make any man the Lord of our conscience and thus break the first commandment. And so moving from the first answer to that question, how do you know you love the truth? We move to the second answer. You test the doctrine of teachers. We, last Lord's Day, considered chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. You love the Lord your God, dear ones, and you care enough about His revealed truth to judge all that is taught you according to it. Listen to the words of Calvin from his Institutes. In Book 4, Chapter 9, in Section 12, in this regard, and I quote, Accordingly, no names of councils, pastors, bishops, which can either be falsely pretended or truly used, can prevent our being taught by the evidence of words and things to test all spirits of all men by the standard of God's word in order to determine whether or not they are from God. And finally, before we move on to our text today, consider how Turretin in his Institutes, Volume 3, page 228, elaborates on this same thing when he says, and I quote, If therefore pastors are to be heard, they are to be heard not absolutely and simply whatever they may advance, but conditionally, if they themselves hear Christ, and speak the oracles of God and do not recede from the form of sound words. Beloved, since our views are being so distorted and misrepresented by some pastors and teachers today, let me say for the record, the only infallible rule by which each of our terms of communion each of the doctrines which we profess and each of our practices in worship are to be judged and received in this church is the Spirit of God speaking in the Holy Scriptures. 
We as a church receive no historical witness in the form of creed or testimony unless we are assured that it is founded upon and agreeable to the inspired word of God. Dear ones, this Lord's Day, we seek to answer the question, do heresies serve a beneficial purpose to the church of Jesus Christ? Or do teachers promoting doctrines contrary to the Scripture and to our Reformed confessions and standards serve ultimately to profit the kingdom of Christ? In other words, why do heresies come into the visible church of Christ? We shall consider the following three reasons today. Number one, in order to manifest those who are overcomers. In chapter 4, verse 4. Number two, in order to expose heresy. Chapter 4, verse 5. And number three, in order to expound orthodoxy. In chapter 4, verse 6. These are the reasons And we'll consider these one at a time. Number one, heresies come in order to manifest those who are overcomers. 1 John 4.4 Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. From our sermon last Lord's Day, let me briefly summarize for you again what a heresy is. First of all, a heresy is not every error that a man may believe, but rather is either a damnable error which directly attacks the foundation of our faith. For example, to believe in the Trinity is a foundational truth within the Christian faith. But we don't stop there. Furthermore, heresy can be a destructive error as well. Not only a damnable error, but a destructive error which attacks some substantial truth revealed in Scripture and received by our Reformed confessions and standards. For example, to depart from the regulative principle of worship, to not believe in the regulative principle of worship, is to directly attack Not only that doctrine, but indirectly to attack God Himself, who has authorized and who can alone authorize what is to be used in worship. Or another substantial truth revealed in Scripture received by our Reformed confessions, that of a covenanted reformation under God's ordinances of magistracy and ministry. Those are taught in our Reformed confessions. They are commonly taught, but they are certainly not embraced, either one of these examples, by many who claim to be Reformed in this day and age. The second point concerning what heresy is. Furthermore, a heresy is not an error that is promoted outside of the context of the church, but rather is publicly promoted within the visible church by those claiming to be Christians. Infidels and pagans and heathens are not guilty of heresy. They are not heretics. It is those who claim to be Christians alone that can be guilty of these particular sins. Thirdly, moreover, a heresy is not an error that one is compelled under threat of life or duress to profess, but one that is freely embraced. Fourthly, and finally, a heresy is an error which leads to a schism or division within the church of Jesus Christ. It may be, in fact, a majority that follows, or it could be a minority that follows the heretical view. But nevertheless, there is a rending of the church that occurs. And those who depart from the truth, 
those who depart from that faithful testimony contained in the scriptures and in our Reformed confessions, even if they are the vast majority, are to be reckoned the schismatics, those who have caused the separation and the division. I move on to consider further under this first main point. The specific heresy of the Gnostics that John attacks in 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, is the denial of the incarnation of Christ. You see, the Gnostics denied that Christ had a real human body. And in so doing, they, they attacked all that Christ actually accomplished on our behalf as our mediator. You see, this is a very explicit attack on our Savior. And it is a damnable heresy, which is very obvious to us, to deny not only the deity of Christ, but to deny the full humanity of Christ is a damnable heresy. However, let me further elaborate. Departures from substantial truths revealed in Scripture and attested to by our Reformed confessions, though they may be less conspicuous because they do not directly attack the nature of Christ or the nature of God. However, dear ones, Though we do not believe that all errors are heresies, and though we do not believe all who embrace or promote such departures from Scripture and from our Reformed standards are necessarily unbelievers, but in fact may be saintly Christians who ably defend many of the doctrines which we ourselves adhere to. For that very reason, because they may be much closer to what we believe, because they may depart in one or two substantial points. For that reason, because they may be saintly in their lives. For that reason, dear ones, we must especially be careful that we do not become apathetic and careless in regard to the truth, lest we ourselves are misled into their unfaithfulness. And here's an interesting illustration of this very point found in the scripture itself. In Matthew chapter 16, the Lord Jesus is speaking to his disciples concerning events that are soon to occur in regard to his suffering, his death, his resurrection. And upon hearing what Christ says, the Apostle Peter rebukes the Lord and says to the Lord, Surely, Lord, this cannot happen. This cannot be. Don't talk like that, Lord. You remember the words of the Lord Jesus. In Matthew 16:23, but he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You see, the Lord says to Peter, and according to Mark 8 through 33, the Lord rebukes Peter by saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. Here is Peter, a child of God, and even an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was used by Satan to promote heresy. Now, it wasn't officially heresy because it didn't cause a rend within the body of Christ a division within the body of Christ. It wasn't a, a heresy in that it was publicly disseminated by Peter. It was more of a rebuke to the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps even more privately. 
But that particular error could have led, theoretically, to heresy. It was of such a nature that the Lord Jesus Christ said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. For we see, dear ones, that all heresy is, in fact, anti-Christian and satanic. Though it may use, and though it may be a child of God who promotes it, we must have the same attitude as the Lord Jesus Christ, get thee behind me, Satan. What would have happened had Peter not repented? Would Peter have continued in the same favor and grace as an apostle? Would he have had Christ's blessing as an apostle of Christ to promote and teach his doctrines? Of course not. The same thing crops up in Peter's life in Galatians chapter 2. And in this case, he even misleads others within the church so it does become scandalous. The church of Antioch follows Peter's practice of separating from the Gentiles and not eating with them. And Barnabas himself is misled, Paul says in Galatians 2. Paul publicly confronts and rebukes Peter. Here is an apostle of Jesus Christ, but is publicly rebuked. Now, I ask you again, what if Peter had not repented? What if Peter had continued to embrace and promote that particular heresy? He should not be listened to. He should not be countenanced until he repents of that particular sin and heresy. The third sub-point under this first main point, then, John states in verse 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Overcome whom? Well, overcome the Gnostic false teachers referred to in verses 1 through 3. How did these Christians to whom John writes overcome or conquer these false teachers? By their steadfast adherence to the truth. Not only had they not been deceived by the heresy promoted, but they had tested the teachers and evaluated what they taught according to the word of God that had been given to them by the apostles. Thus, in that historical situation to which John addresses this letter, this damnable heresy taught by the Gnostic false teachers had the effect of publicly manifesting who were overcomers in Christ. The heresy was used by God to demonstrate who were the overcomers within the church. Yes, the heresy also had the effect of drawing others away from the truth and manifesting that they were not of the truth as well, as John says in 1 John 2.19. Now, let me state very clearly, I do not say that in every situation where a destructive heresy divides the visible church, that it necessarily manifests who are unbelievers. For believers, dear ones, can be guilty of heresy, just as they can be guilty of other sins. However, I do say that it generally manifests, heresy generally manifests, who are of the truth and are overcomers by faith in Christ and in His truth. Christ says, My sheep... Hear my voice, and they follow me. Thus, heresies, dear ones, come into the visible church in order to manifest those who truly love the Lord their God and love His Word. This is also confirmed by two other passages in Scripture. Consider with me these two passages. 
Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God Proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Moses tells the people of Israel, should a prophet arise doing great signs and wonders, predicting the future, but he has departed from the truth. And he does not give that which has been received from the word of God and from faithful confessions testimonies of God's truth. He departs from that which is the truth and recognize to be the truth. That you are not to hear him. You're not to follow him. For the Lord is simply testing your faithfulness and your loyalty, your devotion to him alone. Will you be misled by the signs and the wonders Or will you adhere faithfully to the Lord your God and His truth? This became abundantly clear in a very historical situation in the Old Testament. While Moses was upon the mount and the people came to Aaron and wanted him to make them a golden calf in order to worship the Lord God, Jehovah, not to worship a false God, not to worship Baal or some other God, but to worship the Lord God by means of something visible, to innovate and to make something with mere human hands, to bring it into that place of worship which God had not ordained nor commanded. And so the calf was made. And Moses, as you remember, returned, came down the mount, saw the the feasting, the immorality, the idolatry that was going on, and in, in anger broke the tablets, symbolizing that God's people had violated and broken God's commandments. And Moses first rebuked Aaron. And then in verse 25 of Exodus 32, And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. Who is on the Lord's side? You see, the Lord demonstrated you are to follow the Lord God and His Word. You're not to depart from it. The consequences, dear ones, of departing from the living God and the truth which He has revealed to us are great. And God, help us to be faithful in this area. 
The second passage in the New Testament this time that I would have you consider is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, where the Apostle Paul writes these words. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be manifest among you. There must be, or literally, it is necessary that there be heresies among you in order that those who are approved may be manifest among you. This is not an absolute necessity, but this is a decreed necessity in God's providence in order to prove those who are faithful to the Lord God and to manifest and to show forth their faithfulness for all to see within the visible church. To show forth that these are genuine lovers of the Lord their God and lovers of His truth. But although we may address the heretic, the false teacher, who divides the church of Christ in the words of Joseph to his brethren. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. And certainly we can say that to the, to the one who falls from the truth and divides the church of Jesus Christ. We can say, ye meant it for evil, but God meant it for our good to manifest those who are faithful to the truth. Even though we can say that, nevertheless, dear ones, never forget the grave and dangerous position of those who do set stumbling blocks before Christ's little children and lead them astray into heresy. In Luke 17, the Lord Jesus said, Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Literally, it is impossible for offenses not to come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. And Jesus concludes these very grave and serious words by saying to his own apostles and disciples, take heed to yourselves. You see, heresy pertains to the church of Jesus Christ. It pertains to those who claim to be pastors and ministers and teachers of the Word of God. Take heed to yourselves. And that is why, dear ones, teachers of the Word must be ready at all times to repent and retract publicly where they have erred, where they have sinned, where they have publicly taught that which is contrary to the Word of God. Like Augustine, faithful teachers and pastors of Christ must have their own book of retractions. You see, dear ones, the fear of the Lord a brokenness and contriteness of heart and love for Christ and His sheep must demonstrate to all that here is a teacher who is not infallible. And when he is wrong, he humbly confesses it instead of trying to cover his tracks. May it always be true of us that we are more quick to confess our errors than to wait and be shown our errors by others. 
that we are quick to do so. And the fourth point and sub-point under this first main point would simply make this observation. In 1 John 4.4, 4, observe that overcomers can take no credit to themselves for their overcoming false teachers. Because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Though the enemy of our souls is great, dear ones, yet the Lord Jesus Christ, through his apostle, reminds us, greater is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, who makes his throne in your lives. You're overcoming heresy in your life. And embracing the Lord Jesus Christ in His wondrous truth is not due to your superior knowledge. It is not due to your intellectual insight. Nor is it due to your inherent discernment. But it is all a work of God's matchless grace in your life. And so we should say with the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God... glory in the Lord not in his own abilities not in his own understanding knowledge but in the Lord and dear ones even when we have earnestly sought the Lord in the fear of his holy name and he shines his light Graciously, His light of understanding and illumination into our hearts and upon our minds, it is still the work of His gracious Spirit and not our own efforts that have brought this about. Not the hours that we have spent upon our knees as if we could offer that and say, based upon this, I've spent this many hours upon my knees, Lord, now, you're obligated to illuminate my mind. Certainly, there is a very strong correlation between one who loves the truth and seeks the truth and the one who spends time upon their knees crying out to God that God would illuminate his mind and his understanding. But that is not a meritorious work, even in and of itself, that we can ever offer to God and say, on the basis of this, God, you must illuminate my mind and understanding because it is always, dear ones, always a work of God's grace and mercy, a work of his spirit in our lives. And thus, dear ones, as we leave this first point, God is glorified through even heresies in the visible church, both in manifesting who are true overcomers and in supplying the grace through His Spirit needed to overcome heresy. The second main point then, why do heresies come? Heresies come in order to expose heresy. 1 John chapter 4 Verse 5. 
They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. Who are the they who are of the world that are mentioned here in verse 5? Well, again, they are the false teachers referred to in verses 1 through 4. John says their teaching is not of God, but is rather of the world. That is, their teaching does not come from above. It comes from below, from this world. It comes from man. It does not have a divine origin. It has a human origin, which again is to be used, as we learned earlier, is to be used by Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan, Jesus said to Peter. Thus, it is no wonder that in this verse, and by our common experience, it is no wonder that their teaching is embraced by so many throughout the world. Because their teaching is of the world. And the world loves to hear its own teaching. Here again, we ought to be reminded, dear ones, that we do not follow a teaching simply because of its universal acceptance by either those without the visible church, outside of the visible church, or by those within the visible church. The popularity of a teaching or the majority view held by whomever is not the supreme and infallible standard upon which we embrace it. For though we should want to thoroughly investigate Those gifted teachers Christ has given to his church in faithful assemblies. Nevertheless, doctrine, worship, and government must be embraced only as it is agreeable to the word of God. That is our foundation. The second sub-point under this main point we're now considering Note that when heresies occur, they are not to be hidden from the sight of men. John didn't hide them from the sight of men. Paul didn't hide them from the sight of men. The Lord Jesus didn't hide them from the sight of men. The prophets of old did not hide them from the sight of men. They are not to be ignored. They are not to be tolerated, but they are to be exposed so that they may be avoided by Christ's sheep. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, the Apostle Paul makes this exceedingly clear when he says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things are reproved, are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. If we, dear ones, would avoid putting ourselves or our families, or our neighbors into a dangerous situation, a life-threatening situation, one that could possibly imperil their lives in some way. If we would take care to do that for their physical well-being, how much more care, dear ones, we should show for our own for our own spiritual well-being and for the spiritual well-being of others whom we should seek to keep from every damnable heresy and from every destructive heresy. Dear ones, that is an evidence of true love. That indicates that one truly loves 
It's the one who allows the neighbor, the family member, to walk into that dangerous situation without warning them. That doesn't love. But the one who truly loves tries to keep them from walking into danger. That will either bring physical danger, but even more importantly, spiritual danger. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And 1 Corinthians 13.6 tells us this is what love is. Love rejoiceth in the truth. The third sub-point, last sub-point under this main point we're considering that God brings heresy, decrees heresy, I should say, decrees that heresy come in order to expose that heresy. The third point under that point is then this. People will not so much oppose you, and you can mark it out, people will not so much oppose you for standing for the truth as much as they will oppose you for standing against heresy. When you begin to stand against heresy, then the battle begins in earnest. As long as you simply positively state what you believe, but do not state that what others believe is wrong, in error, or even is heretical, you'll enjoy a wondrous union, a false union, but a wondrous so-called union with those around you. But become a prophet like the prophets of old, like the Lord Jesus Christ, like the apostles themselves, and like our faithful witnesses throughout redemptive history. And you'll find great opposition because you have attacked perhaps one of the most sacred cows of this age. Tolerationism, pluralism. But, dear ones, that is one of the very purposes of creeds throughout redemptive history to expose the heresy to be shunned by faithful witnesses and followers of the Lamb. And for this, for this as well, that heresy comes in order to expose heresy, we can glorify and thankfully praise our God that we have faithful witnesses in the Word of God and those throughout history who have given us confessions and creeds so as to know this is to be avoided, this is to be shunned. Praise God for their faithfulness, even if we live in a very faithless generation. And finally, the last point. Heresies come in order to expound orthodoxy. 1 John chapter 4, verse 6. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I would first simply remark concerning this text, that you notice the contrast between verse 5, they are of the world, and verse 6, we are of God. We move from exposing the heresy of false teachers in verse 5 to expounding the orthodoxy of the apostles in verse 6. The we in verse 6 is a reference to 
the apostles who, according to John, in chapter 1 of this letter, according to John himself, the apostles have heard, have seen with their eyes, have looked upon, and their hands have handled of the word of life which was manifested to us and declare unto you. Thus John declares, dear ones, that orthodoxy in the midst of heterodoxy is manifested by its agreement to the words of the inspired apostles and prophets that have been inscripturated in the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. And the second sub-point under this main point, dear ones, just as the beauty and the dazzling splendor of a diamond is only manifested to a greater degree against the darkness of that black velvet So heresy has the effect of causing the truth to shine forth more brilliantly for all to see. Therefore, when we are attacked for what we maintain to be agreeable to the Word of God and conformable to our reform standards, should we cower in fear? Should we hide the truth? Should we wring our hands in ceaseless self-pity? Woe is me! Woe is us! We are so opposed! God forbid. God forbid. God sends heresy so that we may have the opportunity to faithfully expound the truth. Let us fervently, therefore, dear ones, search our own hearts that God would deliver us from and forgive us for all vain confidence and intellectual pride. Dear ones, let us pray earnestly and fervently that God will grant repentance and insight to all those who have departed from the good ways of the Lord. Let us love even those who have departed from the truth, who may malign us. Let us love them as brethren. Not for their defection, but because they are brethren. Let us love them. Let us pray for those who even persecute us. Let us do good to all men. Let us live as much as we are able to live at peace with all men. Let us not become bitter. Let us not become vindictive. However, let us pray that Christ will restore His church. To that glorious uniformity in doctrine and worship and government. Let us pray that Jesus Christ will be owned again within nations of this world, and yea, in all nations of this world. And let us pray that all heresy will be crushed and the the faithful teaching of Scripture and our reform standards will brightly shine forth. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, We come before Thee, Lord, as those who have sinned against Thee, who have departed from the truth, who, like Peter, have been used as tools of of the enemy, Satan, to accomplish evil and wicked designs 
And we confess, Lord, our sin before thee. We acknowledge, Lord, that we have fallen short of thy perfect glory, which thou hast manifest and revealed unto us. to understand and know Thy truth, to live according to that truth, to not simply intellectually know the truth, but to love it and to apply it in our lives and in our families, in our relations with our neighbor. Oh, Father, we do pray that Thou would have mercy even upon many of our brothers and sisters whom we love as the children of God and yet whom we recognize to have departed from the truth in various areas. Father, have mercy upon them. Humble them, Lord God. Bring them to the place where they would consider the testimony which has been presented in thy word and by faithful witnesses throughout history. O Father, we do pray that Thou would again establish Zion upon a beautiful location for all nations, Father, to flow unto it, all kings and princes to learn of Thy law from Zion. O Father, we pray that Thou would send forth Thy messengers, send forth Thy ministers, Raise up laborers, Father, for the harvest that Thou art about to bring forth. We pray, Heavenly Father, that Thou would use our very meager and small efforts, imperfect efforts, but God, use and sanctify them, we pray, to accomplish great things in Thy kingdom. We offer to Thyself Lord God, our lives as living sacrifices, that Thou would use us, that, Father, there would be a great harvest to come. Father, we ask all of these things, thanking Thee for Thy goodness and mercy to us in Christ. And we do thank Thee that greater is He who is within us than He who is in the world. In the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue Edmonton that's E D M O N T O N Alberta abbreviated capital A capital B Canada T six L three T five you may also request a free printed catalog and remember that John Calvin in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, 
whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.